following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. You know, it's interesting when you talk about Father's Day, uh, we all have a different experience with fathers. Some of us have an amazing one. Some of us have a mediocre one. Some have not so great a one. So I know when a day like Father's Day comes up, it means different things for different people. Um, I want to tell you something about the Heavenly Father. The Heavenly Father is all about redemption. And no matter what your experience with your earthly father is, it cannot compare to that of the Heavenly Father. Amen? I mean, you've got to know that because some folks have an experience with an earthly father or no earthly father, and as a result, it really messes up their understanding of the living God. I want to tell you that God will restore and redeem all of that. He's really good at that. Uh, he comes to bind up the brokenhearted. He's the father to the fatherless, and he does some profound and radical things. And after the service today, we're going to have prayer for any need that you might have, any request, any burden that you might have. But I do want to encourage you, on Father's Day, if there is any kind of deficit uh, when you think of God being a heavenly father or a loving father, and many people have that, um, really just come and get prayer because God wants to restore that. There's a whole lot of life and love on the other side of that. Amen? Amen. I'm grateful for my earthly father. I, I really am. My father, uh, he passed away about you know, eight, nine years ago, uh, but he was a, a great provider, and he, he tried really hard, raising six kids, New York City, you know, tough job for any dad. And uh, you know, I respect him, and I honor him, and I salute him for that. And so we, we have great respect for our earthly fathers, but I've got to tell you, I've, I've got even a greater respect for my heavenly father. There's something about earthly fathers. They do their best, and, and, and we try hard, and we ask for God's grace and, and power to succeed, but there's something about the Heavenly Father and His capacity to love and His capacity to impart life to people that I am really, really grateful uh, for Him. The, the first thing I think about the Heavenly Father that I'm so grateful about is He actually adopted me. How many of you know that through Jesus Christ we get adopted as sons and daughters of the living God? Now, it's cool to have an earthly father who loves you, but it's even cooler to have a heavenly father that loves you. There's many people that didn't even have an earthly father who went on to do profound things, and God did profound things through them because they knew the love of the heavenly father. That is radical stuff. Um, but he adopted me. He's totally in the adoption business. He always has been. He's the father to the fatherless, and radical relationship starts there. Um, but there's many people who don't know the love of the father. There are many people who don't know the love of the Father. And the reason they don't know the love of the Father is because no one ever told them. No one ever shared the love of the Father with them. And last time we had gotten together, we had looked at um, a passage in Romans 10. And this is what it said. It said, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. In other words, when you and I share the love of the Father, God is saying, your feet are beautiful. Your feet aren't made beautiful by a pedicure. They're not made beautiful by the genetics in your family line. Your feet are made beautiful when we share the love of the Father. Um, and that's why outreach, reaching out to others, is a core value at this church. We want to 
um, grow in the things of God. We want to be a worshiping people. We want to be people who grow in knowledge of grace through his word. But we're an outreaching people because of that very, very reason. Uh, Jesus gave the, the Great Commission, which we've all heard of. But unfortunately, in some circles, it's become the great omission. Instead of the great commission, it's become a great omission. He said, go and tell somebody. Go and tell somebody about the love of the Father. Go and tell somebody that the Father's in the adoption business. Go tell somebody that the Father loved the world so much he sent his only son. Because he's all about love. He's all about redemption. He's all about binding up the broken hearted, setting free the captives, uh, delivery from those in bondage, and recovery of sight for those who are blind. He's in that business. Go tell somebody. And the Great Commission sometimes becomes the great omission where we sometimes stop telling people. Now, here's the thing I've noticed about that. This is my experience, and I also see this happening in history. I don't think we wake up one day and decide to be self-centered with our faith. I really don't. I, I don't think believers wake up in the morning and say, let me think of a good way to be self-centered with my faith. But I think it's what happens. I think what happens with our faith is we come into the faith and we experience beautiful things of God but slowly but surely what happens is the faith starts to be a thing where we, we go, well, I kind of like worship my way. I kind of like worship this way. This is my preference. And teaching, I like teaching this way. And I like uh, this style this way and this style this way. We don't start that way, but before you know it, we do start doing these things. And you can look historically at many amazing denominations that God was moving mightily in where there was actually full-blown revival. And what had happened is people, over time, stopped being outward-focused and started to become inward-focused. And whenever a believer or a group of believers starts becoming inward-focused, we really miss out on what the kingdom's all about. The Great Commission is other-centered, and God wants his love to be shared with everyone around us. And that's kind of what we're looking at today, is, is how we um, share that love with others, and what is God's design especially since it's Father's Day. The one thing I'd like us to know today is that many of us, in some way, we live our life to please our earthly father. Have you guys done that with some honesty? How many of you guys have really genuinely wanted to please your father? Okay. Yeah, there's something kind of in the hearts of, of people that we do want to please our father. I mean, it seems right, it seems good to please our father. But I have to tell you something. When my, when my father passed away, about eight or nine years ago, it, it kind of relieved that reality of trying to please my father because I think it's in the hearts of most people. We want daddy to be happy. But there's a new revelation about wanting your heavenly father to smile on the things that you do. Literally wanting your heavenly father to say, that is beautiful, that's what I made you for and I can get behind you because I love what you're doing. There's something about living for the glory of one, living to the audience of one, living to please your heavenly father. And it's very liberating when you come to terms with that because the heavenly father will never give you anything you can't handle. He does not have an expectation of you that he does not expect you to be able to follow through. He doesn't prepare the vessel without preparing the, the grace. He doesn't have a calling that his grace won't sustain you in. This is the beauty of the heavenly father. And so there's something about um, this reality of the Heavenly Father. Now, for me, when I think of sharing the gospel of God, the gospel of grace, 
See, the gospel is really good because the gospel, when it applied to my life, it took away my sins and it gave me eternity, and that is good. But can I tell you something? The gospel is even greater when it can take away everyone around me's sins and give them heaven too, amen? The gospel is really good when God can heal my past brokenness and things from from a broken upbringing, and God can heal those things. The gospel is good, but the gospel is even greater when God can heal for all those people around you that you know, that same gospel, that's a greater gospel, amen? Do you see how that works? It's greater that way. The gospel is good when God is willing to put his spirit inside of me to lead me and to guide me and to comfort me and to give me counsel. That's good. Thank you, Father, for that. But it's even greater when he's willing to put his spirit in all flesh and pour out his spirit on everyone around you that you know. Is that a greater gospel? It's a greater gospel. And that's the whole point. When our faith starts to get self-centered that way, we do think of, our blessing, our prayer, our life, our worship, our we just do. We don't mean it. We just do. In this context here, we're going to be looking at the story of the Good Samaritan and how we share love with others. But I want to explain something about this story to set it up. Jesus just sent out 70 of the apostles, 70 of the disciples. 70 of them went out. He said, go into the towns and preach the good news. Tell them the kingdom of God is, is at hand. It's right now. And they came back. You got to understand context when you read scripture. They came back and go, you're not going to believe what happened. And Jesus is sitting there smiling. Jesus is like, I, I know what happens when you go out in the power of God. I, he, he knows. And they're like, no, Jesus, it was awesome. I mean, sick people were healed. The dead were raised. I mean, people were recovering. I mean, there was liberty. Demons were coming out. I mean, all kinds of stuff happened when we went out to go share the gospel of the kingdom of God. And Jesus is like, yes, I know that. Don't rejoice over that so much. Rejoice that your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But that's very cool. And he said, thank you, Father, that you revealed these things to the people. The people that were willing, listen, here's the context. The people that were willing to go share the love of the Father are the ones who got in on the miraculous. Do you understand how that works? That's important because we forget that today. There are many places where we forget that, that we just want the miraculous. Come give us more miraculous, more miraculous. And Jesus is like, I'll give you miraculous, but it's not just to sit there and have a holy huddle. There are times when you stop and you experience the presence of God and you get in on the miraculous things of the kingdom, but go, and if you go, and if you're willing to go, and if you're willing to share the love of the Father, watch what I will do through you. You will come back like those 70 and go, wow, you won't believe the stories. Some of the greatest stories in my life are when I was available and out in public for the glory of God. God did the coolest things. I got to say that the coolest stuff that's ever happened was being available and being public. Well, there's something amazing about that because uh, Jesus told us to love God and to love our neighbor. And he knows that the loving God part is not so difficult. We love God. God is a good God. He's a loving father. But loving our neighbor, that's a little tricky sometimes. But that is a key to the kingdom because loving our neighbor is the pathway where people will know the love of the Father. People will know the love of the Father through me and through you. And so loving God is good, but loving the neighbor is a little more uh, difficult. It's a little harder. And what does that really look like? And so back in the context of this story we're going to look at in Luke chapter 10, 
there was a guy who was very smart. He was very well together. He had some things going on. And he came up to Jesus with this question. And his question had to do with this neighbor. What, what does it really mean to love your neighbor? And Jesus has to straighten things out in this man's life so he has a, has a pretty good understanding. If we really love God and we love our neighbor, Jesus said this summarizes pretty much everything in the Bible. You can read the long version of the Bible, but if you want the short version today, if any of you are here today and haven't really read the Bible, let me give you the short version. Jesus is the way to the Father, number one. Second thing is love God and love your neighbor. That's it. Go home now. It's really that simple. Love God and love your neighbor. It, the whole thing can be summar summarized. The law and the prophets, everything. There's the summary. Love God, love your neighbor. And so the, here's the summary. It's really important, but... If we love God, there's got to be some evidence because there's people who say they love God, but their life doesn't have evidence. And James, when he wrote the book of James in your New Testament, that's what his thing is. He's like, guys, I hear what you're saying about your faith and your belief, but where's the evidence? And so this context here is Jesus is talking to this guy about his evidence. Where's your evidence? And if we love God, there ought to be an evidence in our life. If we love God, there's got to be an evidence. We can't just say, well, it's personal. I have a little thing going with God. I really like him. And, it's, you know, and there's no evidence. There's got to be some sort of evidence. If you're married, there is some evidence of love in your marriage. There's commitment. There's symbolism. There's serving one another, laying your life down for one another. There are gifts and flowers. <clears throat> Gentlemen, <clears throat> there's flowers. <clears throat> there's, uh, there's date nights. You know, there's, there's things that you do. There's, there's things that you do to express your love. There are evidences in a love relationship that love exists. And with our Heavenly Father, there are evidences. I, I believe some of the evidences in the Bible that the Jews understood well and we should is our time. There's got to be some time spent with the one you love. How can you have a love life if you don't spend time with the one you love? I believe Scott shared last week on a devotional life and did an amazing job on We've got to have relational time with the one we love. So time, and then our talents, and, and not only just believing, but serving God. Finding an area, finding a slice in the kingdom of God where you say, this is my area of giftedness, I want to serve God with it. That's good. So our time and our talents, and also with our treasure. The Bible says where your heart is, your treasure will be also. And if we're really to seek first the kingdom of God, seek it first, then it should be evident in our time and our talent and our treasure. There should be evidences in our life if we love God. But loving your neighbor, what does that look like? What are those evidences? This lawyer who comes up to Jesus, who's very smart, very well put together, tries to kind of get around this one because it's a lot easier for him to love God with his time, talent, and treasure and not really love his neighbor. And the Father knows that the way people are going to know the love of the Father, the pathway is through you loving others and me loving others. So this jumps in in, uh, in Luke chapter 10. If you have your Bible, please follow along with us. It's Luke chapter 10. And it's the, uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. And uh, it's an amazing story. Uh, Jesus gives this analogy of this road to Jericho. Uh, this road, I've taken this road. I've driven this road a few times. It's actually a, a really long and windy road that takes you from Jerusalem, at about 1,500 feet above sea level, to Jericho, which is the lowest place on planet Earth. Jericho, uh, that down by the Dead Sea, is the Dead Sea is actually the lowest place on planet Earth. 
and 2,000 feet below sea level. And this road takes you on a long and windy road, and there's a lot of curves, and there's a lot of cliffs, and it's the perfect place for an ambush and for people to jump out and rob you. And so when Jesus is sharing the story, everyone hears him loud and clear, like, oh yeah, we heard about that road. We would never take that road at night. We would only take that road with a lot of people in the daytime. Everyone knows about Jericho and the road to Jericho. And so Jesus is sharing this story. And let's see how it begins in in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, He took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? The expert in the loss replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, good, you go and do likewise. So in this story, there's this initial question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Good question. I wish it was a question that everyone on the planet was asking. Some are asking this question. Others haven't asked this question yet. But it's the golden question. If God designed me and he designed me for, your, for eternity, how do I live to inherit it? And I got to say, this eternal life that he's talking about right here, he's not just talking about the context in this, in this scripture in, in the Greek, is not just talking about heaven. Eternal life is the abundant life. It's heaven when you get there, but it's the kingdom of God here and now. And you got to understand this because there's many believers who who say, I have a belief system and I'm just going to pray and I'm going to hang on tight to the wheel until Jesus comes back. And they think that's the extent of life and heaven's going to be beautiful when it comes, but hurry up, Lord. They're missing out completely on the abundant life that Jesus designed for the here and now. The kind of abundant life when he sent out the 70 and they came back with radical stories, that's the kind of abundant life that was designed for you and for me. There's an abundant life to be lived and it's not just heaven when it's there, it's life in the Holy Spirit here and now. And this guy's saying, he sees Jesus, he sees his followers, he's like, what does it take to have eternal life? And Jesus says this amazing statement to him, he asks him a question, he says, what does the word of God say? Now you might want to underline that in your Bible, because that is a profound question. There are many people that ask Jesus things, and Jesus answers them, but there are some people who ask Jesus questions, and Jesus asks them a question. It's pretty interesting. Usually the ones trying to trick him, or trip him, he asks them a question. 
If somebody is a skeptic in your life, if somebody is a naysayer of the faith, maybe instead of answering them, ask them a question. Uh, Jesus did it. It seemed to work pretty well. Um, In this case, he's asking this lawyer, what does the word of God say? I would say one thing. We should have the same precedent in our life. When things come up and there's questions in life and there are issues that come up, we should always say, what does the word of God say? Because some of us will either ask Google (laughs) instead of asking God. Um, You know, just Google it. I don't know. Ask God. What does the word of God say? He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Don't go beyond what is written. I mean, the word is living. It's alive. It's active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. What does the word of God say? The word of God's got answers for all of life's questions. That's the beauty of God's word. It really does. The word of God has answers for questions that you and I haven't even asked yet. Do you realize that? There are answers in the word for questions we haven't even come up with yet. Questions we haven't even come to terms with yet. But it's got answers for everything. Speaks to the core of the soul and can actually divide between motive, intent, and uh, things of the soul. Have you ever been struggling with something in your own life? Like a question or a, a decision? And you're honestly doing some soul searching and you're kind of wondering, is this my motive? Is my intention right? Do I, have you ever done this, right? Where you're, you're kind of at a crossroads, you're trying to make a decision, you're not really sure. I've got to check my motive. I think my motive's right here. Is, what am I doing? And, you know, we, this is good. This is a process of kind of working through the issues of the soul when it comes to questions. Well, the Bible says the Word of God divides between all that. It is so powerful and beautiful that it separates the thoughts the intentions, the motives, it can actually separate all that. And what was blurry ends up being high definition. We get to see the kingdom of God in clarity and go, I didn't really see that before. It was fuzzy, but what does the word of God say? Now I see it. Now I get clarity. So he asks this lawyer, what does the word say? You want to know about eternal life? What does the word say? And he answers out of Deuteronomy. This lawyer quotes Deuteronomy 6 and says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and all your soul, and all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, do this, and you will live. And so the man doesn't have a problem with loving God, but the man does have a problem with loving his neighbor. And truth be told, I think the church does a pretty good job with loving God. I really do. I really believe there's a sincerity in the people of God that we pray, and we seek him, and we look to him, and we love God, and we worship him, but... When the church at large comes to loving our neighbor, sometimes it's hard to distinguish a Christian neighborhood or Christians in a neighborhood from non-Christians in a neighborhood. This has become a reality over time. Jesus is trying to address this with the guy. And so the guy asks, well, well, who is my neighbor? And to him, it would be other Jewish people who believe the way he does. That's his worldview of who his neighbor is. And Jesus is about to rock that worldview. Jesus is like, if you're going to share the love of the Father with anybody... If you want to walk in the abundant life, you've got to change that worldview because that's not the kingdom. He's about to change and forever turn on end what your neighbor is all about and who your neighbor really is. And he gives the parable about this man coming down from the road to Jericho. And on that road, there are three people that see this poor man who is beat up. There was the, the priest and there was the Levite and there was a Samaritan. To understand in our context who these guys are, the priest... The priest would be like a pastor or a rabbi in modern times. Coming down the road, sees the guy, probably came up with some very good excuse. It seems like when we don't do things, we always have a good excuse, right? I mean, there's some justifiable way why we can't really help. 
Uh, people come up with things all the time. I think we all do, truth be told. And the priest is like, ah, or I'm maybe late for this, and uh, didn't know what to do with it. And, and, and so he just walked on the other side. He missed this golden opportunity in the kingdom of God. And the Levite, a Levite should be looked at as a, a worship leader. They actually handled worship up at the temple, matters of worship. So it's almost like a pastor walked past him, and a worship leader walked past this guy. And um, the next guy is a Samaritan. How would you look at a Samaritan? Well, the way the Jews looked at a Samaritan is the Samaritans were viewed as illegitimate citizens. The Samaritans were these people of Assyrian descent. The Assyrians came and conquered Israel, and Israel did not like them. And the people who settled in and intermarried were the Assyrians. They became the Samaritans, kind of half Jewish, half Assyrians. They kind of confused what the faith was all about. They confused a lot of stuff. And so the Jews did not like them. In fact, the Jews wouldn't even go through their town. Remember the, the story of the woman at the well? Like, they don't even drink out of the same utensils. This is the view of the Jews and Samaritans. We might live around each other, but we don't want anything to do with each other. This is the view. And so the Samaritan, who technically had no birthright to the land and no birthright to the faith, he's the one who goes out of his way and he shows compassion. I would suggest this, guys. A Samaritan, if you want to be one, if you want to be, do we got any people who want to be a Samaritan in this room? I hope, how, about, how many more people want to be one? Because this is what the love of the Father is about, church. It really is. The love of the Father is, is right here. A Samaritan makes a personal commitment to make sure his neighbor is healthy. That's what a Samaritan does. And it's a full gospel that they would understand faith, they would understand the love of the Father, they would understand the life he offers, they would understand healing, wholeness, deliverance, fullness, calling, anointing of God, uh, just everything that God has to offer, they would understand the kingdom of God. And it's been said that evangelism is anything that you or I do to take people one step closer to the kingdom of God. One step. It doesn't mean you shared faith and someone made a decision to follow God. That's beautiful if that happens. But if you can help people get one step closer to the love of the Father, that's evangelism by definition. And this Samaritan did it more than anybody else. He had a guy who had compassion for other people, and he's like, I can't walk away from this. I care about this man's health, and I will do what it takes to do to make sure this man is restored. I think if you and I look at our neighbors that way, if we look at our neighborhood that way, if we look around our block that way and say, what does it take for God to bring restoration and health to the people around us? That is a beautiful way to start sharing the love of the Father. And my prayer is on this Father's Day, we'll look at it a little different, saying, how can I be the Samaritan that brings health and life to the community and the neighbors around me? There's a lot that happens when this, when this works this way. And so the Samaritan is the one. So who was the real neighbor? He asked the lawyer, who's the real neighbor? And he said it was the one who shows mercy. The one who takes time and shows mercy is the real neighbor. I got a question for you this morning, family. Who's the real neighbor on your block? Who's the real neighbor on your neighborhood, on your block? Who is it? Because if it's not you, it might not be anybody else. Who is the real neighbor? I believe God is calling the church to a paradigm shift in understanding his sovereign placement of where he put you. You're not living where you are by a 
happenstance. You're not living where you are by a freak of nature or some... You're living where you are by the sovereign hand of the living God who has strategically placed you where he has. You know that? You've got to know that. This isn't a, a chain event of reactions that's happening, consequences and sequences. The living God is strategic and, he is, and his plans are above ours and he, his ways are, are structured and ordered in a way that, 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 that he sees no matter where you are and who you're living around, he cares about those people and he has you placed there because someone's got to share the love of the Father. And he knows that. And he put you there. And you might look around like I can do and we look at the neighbors and go, well, some of them are a little more lovable and some of them are not so lovable. Right? Some people are not so lovable. And maybe we weren't so lovable either. But the fact is, he put you around people to love them and to share the love of the Father. So who's the neighbor? Who's the neighbor in your, your neighborhood? I believe it's time for the church to be the source of love once again. When you look at the early church, the early church was a source of love. The love of the Father flowed through the people and people said, what is it? The early church, they were checking out the early church. They're like, what is up with these people? They spend time in the temple together in corporate worship. They also spend time in their homes in very personal worship. And together, they're this living display of the love of God and we don't know what to do with it. We've never seen anything like it. The Roman Empire didn't, do no, didn't know what to do with it. The Roman Empire, by the way, was okay with other religions. The Roman Empire was fine with multiple religions. They didn't, they didn't kill people for having a different religion. There was millions of religions. You can have anything you want. But this love revolution that was going on, that was focused on the one true living God, they didn't know what to do with that one because the people were changed and the people were sharing that love and the whole dynamic of the Roman Empire was changing from the inside out, not top down, from the bottom up through the people of God, with the Spirit of God, according to the Word of God, for the glory of God, sharing the love of the Father, and things were changing. I believe it's time for the church to start sharing love like that again. Do you guys agree with that? Jesus says this guy, to this guy, okay, now that you know what it is, you go and do likewise, which tells me Jesus is asking for participation. He's not trying to impart a little knowledge here. He's not trying to impart a little wisdom. He's saying, you guys go do likewise. I want to remind you, of the people, he said to the guy, he said, do this and you will live. If you do this, he says to the man, if you go love God and love your neighbor, you will live. You will have abundant life if you live. Remember the context is 70 people just came back from the kingdom of God exploding out there. Those are, this is the context. You've got to frame this properly. The context is they came back. These guys are doing jumping jacks for the glory of God. They're going, this is the coolest thing I ever experienced in my life. I didn't know the power of God can flow through me. I didn't know the love of God can flow through me. Why me, God? Because you're willing to share with your neighbor <laughs> and I'm willing to empower people that will. Remember the upper room, Pentecost? We looked at it a, a few weeks back. These were people that were willing to go. And God's saying, if you are willing to go, I'm willing to fill you with power from on high that's gonna change you in a radical way. And these guys waited in an upper room, guys and gals, 120, praying, seeking God. God poured out power. And what did they do with it? They went. And they all had stories of what God was willing to do. They didn't say, hey, I'm really digging this. Let's just stay in this upper room. We got a cool little thing going here. Let's just hang out and never leave. I mean, there was a time in the Christian life where it was called the monastic movement, monasteries, where people 
had the wrong view of the kingdom of God. And they thought, maybe if we retreat and go live up on the side of a hillside with other like-minded believers, that's where the kingdom of God is. And you know what they realized a couple few hundred years later? We're totally missing it. We got to get down to where the people are. It's beautiful what God does among other believers, but we got to get down to where the people are because that's the kingdom of God. And so it's an interesting snapshot in history, but he's saying the same thing to us guys. If you do this, you will live. I want to close on a couple of notes if the worship team uh, would come up at this point. It would be great. Um, Jesus is not asking you and me to love everyone because only God can love everyone. You and I are not capable of loving everyone in the world. It can never be done. God so loved the whole world. But you and I can't love everyone. The great summary of the Bible that he's laying forth here is love God and love your neighbor. The word neighbor, it's an old, old English word. The word bore means the one living next to you. It, it, it's the, the word bore means person, and the word ne is the one that is nigh to you, the one that is near. It really means the person near to you. To love your neighbor, by definition, is to love the people God put around you. That is doable. We can't love the whole planet. We can try, we can pray, we can really, really try to love the whole world, but you'll find out that you just can't meet everybody, you can't love everyone, there's not enough love to go around, it seems, but the reality is God says, if you will love those around you, you can do that, and I will do that through you. And there's a beautiful snapshot of what happens in the kingdom of God. You know, what I'm excited about this is I meet with a group of pastors every Thursday, and we pray for you, we pray for the city. We're praying for revival in this land. And we get together and we worship God and we pray together, we lay hands on each other. And one of the things that has come out of this is this thing called the Neighborhood Initiative, where we have all decided corporately, we are gonna take the message, because we believe it's prophetic for the time right now, of loving your neighbor very serious on a whole different level, on an intentional way that we've never done before. And we're gonna encourage the people of God to go public right where you live. And I don't know if you've ever taken an inventory of who lives around you. Have you ever done that? Have you ever really like sat down and, and tried to name your neighbors? Think about this. You might be surprised how many you don't know. That's the guy over there. That's the older lady over there. And that's, I don't know what her name is or his name, but it's the people down there with the five dogs or something. And we don't really know even who our neighbors are. It's been said that people don't care how much you know until they they know how much you care. And we've got to start to know our neighbors, guys. We've got to start praying for our neighbors. The love of the Father, he wants to flow through you in the power of his spirit that the love of the Father would be made known if we're willing to get to know our neighbors and to love them. Well, at this pastor's prayer thing, we did this. I think we have a slide. Do we have a slide for that one? Um, what they're doing is they're, they're coming up with a, uh, an actual website. There's an, a website for Art of Neighboring. And what it is, if you want to write it down, it's called Art of neighboring.com. And what happened out in Denver, a bunch of pastors got together and they said, you know, what is it going to take for us to reach our city? And they felt the Lord telling them prophetically, love your neighbor. You love me, love your neighbor. And they asked people strategically to say, will you love your neighbor? Will you love your community? And what they, what they decided to do, they came up with a map there's literally a map on this website of the city of Denver. 
and people saying, you know what? I can't love the whole city, but I can love this block. I can start praying for this block. When I go for a walk, I can pray for the houses around this block. I can be intentional about trying to find out the names of these neighbors and trying to share the love of the Father with them some way. Maybe first inviting them over for coffee. Maybe bringing them some cookies. Maybe bringing in the trash cans for the older lady down the street who's a, a, a widow. It's got to start somewhere, guys. And be creative. Ask the Lord to show you. But if you are willing to pray about how you can start doing this in your neighborhood, well, what happened in Colorado is someone said, I'll do this block. And you can go on the website and you can say, I'm taking this block. And you take this block, someone takes this. You know what the city's starting to look like right now? Boom, 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 all over the place with the people of God taking back the things of God. You know, when Joshua was told to go into the promised land, he said, I'm giving you the land, but you've got to take it. I'm giving it to you, but you've got to take it. Don't just pray and expect God to go, bam, you've got to take it. I'm going to be with you. I will be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. I will never leave or forsake you. This is where we see the kingdom of God manifest, guys. I want to encourage you. Start to take your neighborhood. Are you guys willing to do that? Are, are, you willing to, are you willing to say, God, I don't even get the full picture, but you know what? Let me start with one neighbor. Show me one. Put a burden on my heart for one neighbor. Let me start with that one. I don't want to be too ambitious. And when I walk around the block, I'm going to start praying for these homes. Christy and I do this often. You'd be surprised what God will show you. Pray for that home. He might tell you something to pray for. You're like, whoa, I don't know what's going on there, but... This is the way the Spirit is. The Spirit searches all things, knows all things. Spirit makes an intercession. Spirit's going to show you stuff. Start praying for people. You start walking through your neighborhood that way, God will give you divine appointments. And believe me, you want divine appointments. Divine appointments are some of the coolest things that happen in the life of a believer. Is God orchestrating stuff? You want that to happen. And uh, there's a map on this website of the San Fernando Valley. And do we have that one? I don't know if we have that, that graphic, but um, if not, we'll have it next week. I went on there. I picked my block. I said, you know what? We're, we're taking this one. We're taking this street. And we're committing to praying for our block. And we're committing to going public. We meet neighbors. We know neighbors. But we're taking it to a whole new level on what is it going to take to share the love of the Father with people. I want to tell you guys in closing, the prophecy in Joel of end times is quite simply this. God wants to pour out his spirit on all flesh. God wants to pour out his spirit in an unprecedented way on all people. Who will be a carrier of the kingdom? Who is willing to share the love of the Father? Who will be the good Samaritan to say, I care about the health of those around me, and I can't skip it. I can't walk to the other side of the street. I might get a little messy, because when people are hurting, sometimes it gets Sometimes it takes a little time. But therein lies the power of the kingdom. Therein lies transformation. Therein lies the power and the love of the Father on display. So we're going to close in prayer. But on Father's Day, I don't know about you, but I want the Heavenly Father to be famous in this land. I want Him to be famous. I want everyone to know His love because not many people do. Some do and some are confused on who He is and what His love's about. I want everyone to know the love of the Father. And I'm convinced if you and I are willing to walk in the fullness of the Spirit, right where we live, you're going to start to discover things unfolding. You're going to come back with stories like those 70 and say, you know what happened? You're not going to believe what God did. This is so cool. And when you start living that way, you're going to start living the abundant life, not just heaven then, but life in the spirit now, because God is all about this, guys. 
So uh, let's close in prayer right now. Mighty God, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of it. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.